And he's then, not the red then, rocket anymore. He's got to be like the the red water gun, the red the red water pistol. Oh what gosh. is he? <laughs> the red maxi pad. Don't take care of y'all chicken. You feel me? Don't take care of y'all mental. Welcome in to the Fantasy Flexecution Podcast. I am your host, Griff Pelshotti. With me now and always is my dude, Kyle Sutter. What's going on? Week one in the books. The long journey is underway. It feels good. It feels real good. We finally have some, some really interesting things to talk about, some actionable things that we saw this weekend. So, finally in it, man. Now we got the uh, the marathon, 17 weeks of constantly sure. having uh, to fight against... Those immediate instant reactions. Yeah. If you want to include yeah, that final weeks. week, yeah. If you plan that final week, then uh, you should stop listening. I'm kidding. Oh, yeah, that's Please dumb. Don't listening. do that. <laughs> Not for fantasy. Uh, yeah, so uh, kind of throwing you on the spot here, but I like uh, I like doing this with week one, especially because, you know, a lot of the narratives we, we think are true are, are just completely false. So what is your biggest surprise in terms of uh, what we saw week one? Gosh, you're just going to play into my homerism. Like, you're aware that the Packers at least suited up and walked onto a, a football field. I don't know if there was a bigger surprise than the, just the massive egg they laid. And watching that game, it was. I've seen some bad losses. I've been a Green Bay Packers fan for a quarter century. I don't know if I've ever seen them just thoroughly at all levels of the game just get their ass kicked the way that they did this weekend. And if you want to talk about outside of my Packers fandom, I would say Chandler Jones racking up five sacks against the Titans was definitely a stunner. That was was an impressive performance. Yeah, that was awesome. I mean, poor Tyler Luan, man. He's getting dragged by everybody. But Chandler Jones has been doing that to a lot of people over the years, so I uh, I wouldn't be too worried about that if I was Taylor. He said, but, uh, hey, I would say, me. Oh, yeah, he's right, too. And uh, my biggest surprise, I would say, is uh, probably how bad the Atlanta Falcons looked. I mean, I don't want to take anything away from the Eagles. I'd like to think it had a lot to do with how good the Eagles played. But, man, I, in, you know, for my money, I think they're the worst team in the league. And I think Ooh. they have the best chance at, at getting that number one overall pick. Because well, their you, you trenches think. are terrible. Like, no, offensive sure, line, I, I agree defensive agree line, god awful. But you got to think they are a, I mean, outside of their quarterback, they're still a very young team coming back from injury. They haven't been healthy as a team since maybe since they made the Super Bowl run. You got a brand new head coach in there and Arthur Smith. It's going to take some time to get adjusted. So I, I wouldn't put him in that category as one of the worst of the worst quite yet. But yeah, nothing inspiring that you saw this Sunday. I mean, they're playing the Bucks this weekend, so it's almost guaranteed mm. Owen two. Hey, you know what they say, though. You know, we say it all the time, divisional games. Anything can happen. That is very true. But it's time. Let's move on to the news. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Cannonball! Check it out. Newspapers for sale. We have breaking news. Breaking news. I'm toasted. You are fake news. And boom goes the dynamite. Bruce Arians says Ronald Jones will start week two. A bit surprising. I don't know if we saw a ton yeah. out of Ronald Jones in week one to make us think that this would be the case. But 
So it is. Yeah, if you if you don't remember, think back to last Thursday night on kickoff week. Ronald Jones actually, I think he actually got the start in the beginning, but he fumbled very early in the game and he never saw the field again. From that point forward, it was 90% Leonard Fournette with some Gio Bernard mixed in, but Jones looked like he was going to be in Arian's doghouse, and Arian's did come out with a quote later just saying that Ronald Jones just didn't have his head right after that fumble, and that's the reason that he didn't go back into the game. But it, we're talking about someone who – this is not a one-time thing for Ronald Jones. He's made a career out of having these fumble issues, and it's landed him in the doghouse several times. So if it becomes a trend through the rest of the season, I never feel comfortable as a fantasy manager throwing him in my lineup, knowing that all it takes is that one little mistake and – you're done. Your week's over. And if that happens in quarter one or quarter four, doesn't matter. You're back in the doghouse. Yeah, you know, on a week where everybody on your team fires, I mean, Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, Tom Brady, uh, Rob Gronkowski all had great games, and then Ronald Jones has that one fumble and disappears. So totally weird that, that he comes out and it feels the need to tell people that Ronald Jones is going to be starting. But, hey, that's the way it is. I don't think this backfield's ever going to be straightforward. Um, in 2021, I don't think we're ever going to truly know on a week-to-week basis what to expect out of him. But, you know, if he's telling you Ronald Jones is starting, you know, maybe this is your chance to get as much value out of Ronald Jones as you can. Well, if we're listening to everything that Bruce Arians says, then Keyshawn Vaughn should actually be the starter sometime soon, right? <laughs> Keyshawn Vaughn is dead to me. <laughs> Jared in the first round. Yeah, I'd, I would be thinking the same thing about you. The New Orleans Saints have signed veteran wide receiver Kenny Stills, formerly of... The Dolphins and the Texans, kind of a journeyman at this point. He's been around. as well. Yeah, he's been around. Um, You taking anything from this? Not yet, but it is something to monitor. We all know how fragile, shallow, whatever word you want to call the Saints receiving core is right now. And Jameis had a really good week, and it was thrown to a lot of late-round guys, undrafted guys, backup guys. Like This receiver room is still wide open, and what should be a pretty good offense when you have one of the best O-lines in football – the pieces around it all play better. So we may look at one of these guys, even though if they don't have a lot of draft capital, they're not necessarily household names. But when you got a quarterback who's capable and you got an offensive line who gives them all sorts of time back there, it just accelerates the entire offense. So if he does find his way in stills into getting some significant playing time, then he'll definitely find a way to get on fantasy managers' radars. Yeah, I think you said it best. I mean, it could end up being nothing. It could be something that we'll look back and say, man, we should have paid attention to it. So it's good to know. Keep that in the back of your mind. NBC Sports, Matt. Oh, man, I'm going to butcher this last name. M-A-I-O-C-C-O. Mayako? Mayacho. If he's Italian, the two C's make a C-H sound. Uh, that's that's true, how that's cultured true. I am. I want to go with Mayacho. Uh, let's, let's, let's make it Mayacho. <laughs> Matt Macho said that Brandon <laughs> Ayuk is, uh, in quotes, still learning to be a pro. And later said that he has trailed off during camp. I mean, this is the first we're hearing about this. Pretty crazy. Yeah. That this is this is brand new and it just happens to come out after he doesn't see a single target in week one. Yeah, it's it's you feel like we would have heard something at some point. Because yeah. we never saw we never heard the negative review during camp or the preseason or anything like that about Ayuk. And then classic Shanahan, week one, he's throwing everyone for a spin. I mean, we'll talk about this game a little bit more later on. But with the surprise and actives, the playing Brandon Ayuk, but not really playing Brandon Ayuk. Like, you and I were talking about the other day. This is the most volatile team in all of fantasy. You don't know what to expect about a, uh, from a single one of their players, maybe save George Kittle. There's no consistency here, and it seems like every week is just going to be a coin flip to determine who's usable, who's not, who's going to have the big weeks, who's going to just 
be ghosted from the game plan. And this last week, it was Brandon Ayuk. And he's one of those guys that a lot of people were falling in love with this offseason when they looked in between the lines of his rookie year and saw that he actually performed really well when he was able to get on the field. This is discouraging, though. These, this is not the type of notes that you want about someone going into year number two, still learning how to be a professional. That, that's a big shot. And if, and if to me, that makes it sound like, oh, maybe he's not taking the offseason seriously. Maybe he thinks that the game is a little bit easier than it actually is. And that's not the kind of drive that you want in a young player. So it's definitely a red flag and something that every fantasy owner should be monitoring moving forward. Yeah, I mean, between this and uh, Trey Sermon, you know, this this team has totally threw us for a loop. I mean, it's like the New England backfield of the past two decades yeah. where we never know who's going to be getting the majority of the carries. It seems like we're never going to know who's going to get uh, all the snaps down there in, uh, in San Francisco. But definitely something to monitor. I know a lot of you guys have spent some high draft capital on Brandon Ayuk. So you don't want to bow on him, on him yet. Be patient. And, uh, you know, all we can do is wait and hope. It's time we move on to our injury roundup. So first things first, going back to those 49ers, Raheem Mostert, he's going to have season-ending surgery on his meniscus. And to follow that up, the Niners have signed, formerly of the Lions and the Eagles, Carrion Johnson to their practice squad. Yeah, Tough news for Raheem Mostert. He made it, I think, four total snaps in the game before he was sidelined with an injury. It sounds like he would have had the option to come back later in the season just from rehab, but they went ahead and they opted for the surgery, clean out the meniscus, like you said, and ready to start fresh in 2022. But it, it really sucks. It, it, he was a good piece, I think, for uh, contending teams as a deeper RB2, RB3 play. I don't know how much value he's really going to have next year. You got the two rookies and hopefully that both of them will be active on game days that now are just given the entire season to break out all over the place. And if they do, whether it's Elijah Mitchell or whether it's Trey Sermon, one of these guys claims the lead role and they take the reins and they, or I just ran like three different, uh, metaphors all together they take the bull by the horns on the saddle and run with it and who knows what kind of role Raheem Mostert is going to have left for him when he does come back in 2022 and even if that role's there how long before he's sidelined again because we've seen it way too often with Mostert and I don't and, and if you're stuck with him on your fantasy teams right now you just got to hold on to him no one's going to buy him for anything right now I, I think you just got to take this one on the chin it, it's unfortunate for a guy who obviously everyone knows his story how he bounced around from team to team for so many years before he finally got his real shot in San Francisco and he he made the most of it he's had an outstanding career and it sucks that injuries are really just going to tell the tale when he has been so talented when he's been on the field yeah I mean his his uh his calling card is that is that home run speed and yep. you know consistent injuries are, are known to zap some speed away from a guy like Raheem Mostert and it sucks you know like you said really fun fantasy player uh, but it opens the door for those rookies like you mentioned Elijah Mitchell Trey Sermon and then uh, behind them or I shouldn't say behind them he was in yeah, front in the of middle Trey of them. this past week to Michael uh, Hasty uh, so there's hopefully you guys got a piece of that backfield early and uh, maybe you're going to reap the rewards here coming up. Week two against the Eagles. So we sort of skimmed over it. Is Carrion Johnson worth a speculative ad? Uh, yes, I think so. Um, okay. Especially if you have deep benches like, you know, 30-plus 30, 30 guys on the – or 30-plus uh, man rosters. Only reason I say yes is because if they're willing to sit Trey Sermon week one for the likes of Jermichael Hasty, hmm. uh, maybe Carrion Johnson comes in and, and takes over the number three 
or number two role if another back gets injured. And we know how value running backs are in San Francisco. So if you can That's afford right. to put him on your bench, I don't think he's a must add. Yeah. But uh, if you if you can afford him, go ahead and do that. We've seen him produce before. It's not like he's so old and and busted. Uh, so I I think he could potentially be valuable, uh, worth a speculative ad in my opinion. Jerry Judy, high ankle sprain on short term IR is expected to miss four to six weeks. Uh, that timeline, obviously four to six weeks, it's a little vague. I would say just count on him being gone for at least a month. And, uh, you know, tough for you if you had him on your fantasy team, but for people looking to maybe take advantage of this situation, a guy like Tim Patrick is probably out there on waivers or easily uh, traded for. Um, he, he has produced slightly in the past, but we've seen what um, that Jerry Judy role can look like with Teddy Bridgewater behind center, and it looked pretty good. I'm not saying Tim Patrick is Jerry Judy, but if he tries to come in and play that role, he could be valuable, especially in PPR formats. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. If you were one of the Cortland Sutton guys like I was this offseason, it's put up or shut up time. We're going to see how he performs with Judy out of the lineup. It looked like Judy was on on pace for about a 30% target share in that offense over the course of the season, which is ridiculous. And so this is going to free up a lot of targets. And if Cortland Sutton can't do anything with him, it's it's going to be a rough spot. Unfortunately, the Teddy Bridgewater-Cortland Sutton connection, those skill sets don't really mesh so well on paper. So I'm not completely writing off Sutton if he doesn't come through because all it takes is one home run swing for Aaron Rodgers in the offseason and suddenly Cortland Sutton is a top 20 dynasty wide receiver. So he's definitely get the chance from him. I love the Tim Patrick call. He's, I think, the guy who's going to benefit the most from the injury. Not that you really necessarily want people benefiting from injuries, but he's definitely going to see the field a lot more. And then your boy, K.J. Hamler, he's a, a nice deep dart throw. He's going to be able to see the field a lot more. And we've seen it several times over his uh, short stint of career his short career and uh, in the preseason that he has that home run game-breaking ability on any given play. Yeah, that when I first saw the injury my immediate thought was KJ Hamler's got a shot, but in reality, I think his role doesn't change. And, uh, you know, he's still that deep threat that take the top off the defense guy. I'm not sure if his target share will change much, um, but maybe they try to manufacture more touches to a guy with his athletic ability um, because of their, because of them having to, to miss Jerry G for at least a month. Moving on to our nation's capital, Ryan Fitzpatrick, quarterback of the Washington football team, heads to the short-term IR with a hip injury, he's expected to miss six to eight weeks. Uh, from what I've read, this is similar to the injury that Tua had coming out of college, just not as severe. Um, so with a guy at Ryan Fitzpatrick's age, this injury um, could very well turn into a season ender, in my opinion. I don't think you should count on having Ryan Fitzpatrick come back. Um, if you have an IR spot, great. Uh, put him on there. Um, I don't know if, like I said, if this injury is just going to be like, oh, six to eight weeks, he's back. Um, and that being said, I also um, I don't think that the move from Ryan Fitzpatrick to Taylor Heineke is all that bad. I really don't think they're going from great quarterback play to bad quarterback play. I think I'm, they're going from average to bad to average to bad. I don't think there's that big of a drop-off, and I don't think the weapons are going to feel that, uh, that negative effect too much. I do think that it is a pretty big deal for Terry McLaurin. Unfortunately, I was a big, big Terry McLaurin guy this offseason, tried to get as much as I could. And I, I think it just caps the ceiling a little bit. I think the floor is probably 
pretty similar no matter which guy is under center so I'll agree with you there but I do think Fitzpatrick does have that ceiling where he could throw for randomly 350 yards in a ball game I don't know if Taylor Heineke necessarily has that so it's definitely a shot for McLaurin I think this probably eliminates that top six to eight wide receiver finish from his range of outcomes that I really thought was very attainable under Fitzpatrick just because of the gunslinger mentality but I'm with you that I don't think the floor changes entirely too much but yeah, it's definitely not good news with yeah. a starting quarterback. I'm definitely, I'm definitely in the minority when I say I don't think it's that big of a deal. It seems like everybody's saying uh, is, is leaning more towards your side than my side. Uh, but you know, if, if that is the consensus that Ryan Fitzpatrick is, you know, much more valuable in terms of supplying the fantasy options in Washington, then maybe you can get one of these guys at a discount. I mean, this is dynasty. We know Ryan Fitzpatrick wasn't going to be in Washington that long. So uh, if you can get, you know, a Terry McLaurin or a Diami Brown or even a, uh, a Logan Thomas, if you're a contender and you need some tight end help, if you can get one of these guys on the cheap, yeah, this might be your opportunity. Sticking in the NFC East, but we moved to Dallas. Michael Gallup, that injury on Thursday night, calf injury. He's going to hit the short-term IR as well. We'll miss at least three weeks. Do you think that Cedric Wilson is... is going to just slide into that Michael Gallup role? Or do you think you're just going to see more volume to guys like CD and MR? No. What Dallas was doing week one, and it's a lot of what they did last season, is they they would alternate depending on the drive on who the WR3 would be depending on the drive. So there was going to be drives where CD Lamb was going to be the one rotating in and out. There was going to be drives where obviously Cedric Wilson was rotating in and out. There's even a couple drives where Amari Cooper is that three receiver rotating in or out. I think what this probably does is it solidifies uh, the top two dogs there in CD Lamb and Amari Cooper in the one and two role. And we're just going to see Cedric Wilson play sparingly. I really just don't think he's worth an ad. So we're talking about a number four receiver who just took an injury to come to, no, to number three receiver. I'm, I'm leaving that on waivers. So I should cancel my waiver ad. Cedric hey, Wilson. <laughs> zero dollars outbids me. <laughs> there you go. Heading over to Seattle, Rashad Penny, also with a calf injury. He will miss week two, expected to miss multiple weeks. Uh, Rashad Penny, the story of his career, injuries. Um, doesn't seem like he's ever going to pay off that first-round draft capital in your rookie draft or in the NFL draft. So, uh, man, all bad news for Rashad Penny. I don't remember the last so- time I heard something good about him. I didn't, I didn't put it in here to rub it in or to dwell on the fact that Rashad Penny's hurt yet again. I did want to bring up DJ Dallas, who had a really good preseason as a pass catcher and on special teams. And I think this could open the door for him to get a little more involved in the offense. If he does get a stranglehold on that number two role, I really do like him behind Chris Carson. He's a, he's a, uh, a big play waiting to happen. I know I've said that a few times already, but he really does have that home run ability in the passing game and in the running game whenever he can get into space. So I'm hoping this can open the door for him and give him a real shot in Seattle. Any hope about Travis Homer? Not so much. I mean, he's another name to monitor, and he's the one that would probably either him or Alex Collins that would keep DJ Dallas off the field whenever they uh, spell Chris Carson. And no, those those guys are just guys out there. But I, I think Dallas does have a chance but is he going to get on the field? My betting side would absolutely say no. He's probably not going to get on the field in any sort of capacity. Gotcha. I think, yeah, I think you're looking at it the right way. I don't know if I could add much there. Hey, guys, we're moving on to our weekly rundown. So this is going to be a segment every week where we go through all the games and try to give you the wave top, some of the stuff you might have missed, and some of the things that we think you need to know. 
So, Kyle, why don't you get us started off here? All right, let's do it. Going down to Houston, the Texans win 37-21 to over the Jacksonville Jaguars. DJ Chark, the most targeted Jags wide receiver, 12 total targets in the Texas backfield. Ingram leads the way, 26 touches. Phillip Lindsay, 8. David Johnson, just treat. Yeah, I don't think it's a uh, coincidence that everything went downhill and they stopped targeting LaVisca, but whatever, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think there's much to take from this game. It's a fluid situation in Jacksonville. It requires some patience, but... Moving on to our nation's capital, where we saw a second-year quarterback continue to surprise. Chargers win a late, or take a close one here, late, 20-16. to uh, Herbert, in my opinion, really impressive. Uh, not based on the stats, but just the way he played against the top three defense. Fun stat here, he was only pressured on seven snaps all game. So what was a weakness last year in that offense line? May have just become a strength. Looking at the target share of both backfields, Austin Eckler walks away with zero targets. When's the last time we saw that happen? On the flip side, Antonio Gibson, he actually gets five targets on the day, out-targeting J.D. McKissick by a score of 5-1. to one. Now off to Indianapolis, where the Seahawks are victors 28-16 over the Indianapolis Colts. Russ was cooking. 18-23, 254, and four touchdowns. He belongs in that elite discussion at quarterback. And then in the backfield in Indy, Jonathan Taylor ends up with 23 touches. Naheem Hines with 15, so plenty of volume in that Indy backfield. Yeah, Russ with his yearly tease. You gotta love it. Um, if you're not a tight end or a running back, Carson Wentz cannot see you in the route concept. Just uh, gotta accept that. Jets came into Carolina to play Sam Darnold and those Panthers, and they uh, they took the L 19 to 14. Zach Wilson with the pick and also two touchdowns. Looked like he got better as the game went on, and uh, it sucks to see, but Elijah Moore didn't get much opportunity in this one. They also lost Makai Becton, so that's not encouraging. Yeah, first catch goes for negative yardage for Elijah Moore, but you know who else's first catch went for negative yardage? Brett Favre, and he's in the Hall of Fame. Great things ahead for Elijah Moore. <laughs> Book it. And then in Carolina, exactly. Terrace Book Marshall it. Jr., twice as many targets as Robbie Anderson. Out-targets the veterans 6-3. to three. Definitely something to monitor in the Carolina receiver room. Now Minnesota at Cincinnati. This game goes into overtime, but it's the Cincinnati Bengals sculling all over the winless <laughs> NFC North. Uh, K.J. Osborne had as many targets in nine as Justin Jefferson with more yards, 76-71. to 71. Definitely something to monitor. Only trailing Adam Thielen in both categories. Joe Mixon, over 30 carries. He looks like the workhorse that we wanted him to be for the last five years. Gotta love what you see out of Joe Mixon. Also have to love what you saw out of Jamar Chase. After having a rough preseason, didn't have a single drop. Was very impressive in his opening game as a rookie. All right, Arizona, complete route of Tennessee. And uh, Rondell Moore had a strong showing as well as a rookie uh, starting his career. Four catches for 68 yards, and he had all the return work, which is goodness. Yeah, absolutely. Rondell Moore led Arizona and all NFL rookies in targets per snap, 35.75%. In the backfield, James Conner was in on four out of six snaps inside the 10-yard line for Arizona and just completely scrap everything you saw from the Tennessee Titans. They'll be a different team next week. All right, on to Detroit, where the Lions made a late push and actually made it a pretty competitive game. 41-33, they fall to the San Francisco 49ers. This game was 41-17 at the two-minute warning. Holy cow. In Detroit, these wide receivers are as bad as advertised. They were out-targeted by the tight ends and running backs, 32-24. And then obviously on the San Francisco side, we talked a little bit about Brandon Ayuk and Trey Sermon, and the biggest shocker of the day, completely inactive. But we're going to talk a little bit more about him later. The biases have been confirmed. DeAndre Swift, 
uh, Hawkinson, they're all great. Jared Goff, man, what a, what a performance, what a surprise there. Uh, a lot of garbage time, but kind of interesting, kind of fun to see when he's just been dragged all offseason. So we go from an explosion of points to a lack of points, Pittsburgh at Buffalo. Uh, they came back from a 10-point deficit to win 23-16, to uh, but Big Ben looked rough, and he was the lowest-graded player on Pittsburgh's offense, according to PFF. He was lacking accuracy, mobility, and an offensive line. Uh, speaking of that, Najee Harris, I'm sure he'll be fine this year, but that lack of an offensive line really came, came in uh, to hurt him in week one against the, against the Bills. He had 19 opportunities, rushes and targets, but only had six points. Uh, Josh Allen looks solid, very tough matchup, but I still think he's going to be the quarterback we saw last year, not the old Josh Allen. And, uh, dude, the battle between who's going to be the wide receiver two in Buffalo is going to be interesting. you got Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, and Gabe Davis all getting meaningful, meaningful touches. Another battle in Buffalo in the backfield seems to have been decided as Devin Singletary actually plays in Zach Moss, one of the bigger surprise inactives of the day. In Pittsburgh, that offensive line is as bad as advertised. That's bad news for Najee Harris. The good news for him is he was the only running back in football to be in on 100% of his team's snaps in week one. To the Dirty Birds. Oh, thanks. To the Dirty Birds. To the Dirty Birds. Dirty Birds. Where the Philadelphia Eagles win 32-6. to over the Atlanta Falcons. Jalen Hurts, wow, you got to be happy if you're a fantasy owner. 27 of 35 for 264 and three, not to mention 62 yards on seven carries on the ground. He just tears up that Atlanta defense. Obviously, you punch the brakes. It's the Atlanta defense. One worrisome note, Corderell Patterson outgains Mike Davis 54 yards to 49 yards on eight fewer carries. Yeah, we, we like to take things one step at a time here at the Fantasy Flexecution Podcast, but that first step was everything you wanted to see out of Jalen Hurts, so that's good to know. And uh, also an important note about this one, Kenny Gainwell is in fact the number two running back in Philly. It is not Boston Scott, so plan accordingly. Moving on to Cleveland at Kansas City, one of the greatest games we saw this week. Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill, the connection is still there. I think they both finished as the number one at their position this week, so that's good to see. And your boy, Travis Kelsey, still. <laughs> and sell, still. Sell, 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 and sell, sell. Put the no, bell he, around he's, him. He's got to be the tight end one right now. The Chiefs are still the Chiefs. What's surprising? Uh, one thing about Cleveland to take note on, Baker Mayfield, 75% completions, 321 yards, and zero touchdowns. This is why he has a mid-range QB2 ceiling in fantasy. All right, the game I'd just as soon forget. After today, I will forget it ever happened. The New Orleans Saints win on a neutral field against the Green Bay Packers, 38-3. Jameis Winston becomes the first quarterback ever in the modern era with five touchdowns and under 150 yards passing. Much like the Tennessee Titans, scrap everything you saw from Green Bay on Sunday. You'll see a different team on Monday night in primetime against the Detroit Lions. Absolutely. I mean, every player on Green Bay took the day off but one. So I've got something positive here for you. Elton Jenkins. Looks really oh good. Oh my gosh. He's an animal. He let up one pressure all game in a game that was very bad, obviously. Um, I think you can throw this one out. Don't even worry about it. Don't think about it. Move on. There's a reason we had one extra game this season. And Alvin Kamara can just as well be the RB1 in 2021. I want you guys to, to definitely keep that in mind. All right. Miami at New England. This one came down to the wire. Miami, Miami takes it 17 to 16. Uh, Tua and Mac Jones, man. I think they both. Put on solid performances. Tua had that one really bad interception, but he's taking shots down the field, something he didn't do last year, so that's really good to see. Um, and he was fairly accurate. Speaking of accuracy, Mac Jones, his best asset is his accuracy, and he put on a show 
uh, with that accuracy on Sunday. Damian Harris, 23 carries. That's great to see. You know, guys like me who've been touting Damian Harris, we know he has to get it done on the ground as opposed to through the air. So getting that volume is great to see. And he had 100 yards. So that's awesome. And our third rookie wide receiver that we talked about thus far, Jalen Waddle, he also had a solid rookie game, opening performance, I should say, with four catches, 61 yards, and a touchdown. Yeah, Miami's offense really held their own against one of the elite defenses in the NFL against New England, I thought. And now they get back one of their biggest weapons in Will Fuller starting in week two. On the flip side, Damian Harris, that game-costing fumble really put a damper on his big day. But it's a good thing Bill Belichick doesn't hold grudges, right? (laughs) Right? All right, to New York, where the Giants fell victim of the Denver Broncos, 27-13. to Jerry Judy, six catches on 72 yards through just two and a half quarters of play. Of course, we talked about the high ankle sprain that's going to sideline him for about half the season. Another guy dealing with injuries, Saquon Barkley, 10 carries, 26 yards. Time to sound the alarm bells. Saquon, similar to Eckler, I mean, they, they both went into the game with lingering injuries, and they both got limited work. Uh, you know, I think that's something we need to... Keep in mind when we have stars, you know, it doesn't matter who they are. If they're facing que- if they're facing a questionable workload, you might just want to pivot if you can. Chicago goes in the SoFi Stadium down there in L.A. and it was rough. I mean, Andy Dalton did not look good. Uh, Chicago fans are getting uh, <laughs> losing their patience, calling for Justin Fields, and I can't blame them. But on the bright side, holy upgrade! Stafford looked amazing. <laughs> Really opening up an offense that was obviously bogged down by limitations, by the limitations of Jared Goff. Um, if there's any chance to buy Cooper Cup or Robert Woods at a reasonable price, I would do so now because you're not going to be able to do it later. And uh, Dow Henderson, man, got a ton of workload. I think he's a guy we're going to talk about later. Yeah, Matt Stafford was just completely outstanding. He had two touchdown passes of, with 45 air yards just in the game. Andy Dalton had one attempt with more than 10 air yards. It was a 13-yard incompletion on 4th of 15 in the 4th quarter. He was Dr. Checkdown all day. Yeah, I'm sure the Chicago fans getting restless. And He's then, not the Red then, Rocket anymore. He's got to be like the, the Red Water Gun, the Red, the red Water Pistol. Oh what gosh. is he? The Red Maxi uh, Pad? <laughs> I, I mean, think we should move on now. <laughs> Last primetime game, Baltimore and Vegas go into overtime, but it's the hometown Raiders with a 33-27 win. <sighs> Let me throw some water on everyone's fire about Tyson Williams. Tavius Murray actually outcarried Tyson Williams 7-1 in the second half in overtime of this game, and we're going to see more of these veterans come off the practice squad, look for them to get involved. If you have a cell window for Tyson Williams, this is definitely it. And more bad news for all you Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards owners. Hunter Renfro still the WR2 behind Darren Waller in this offense. He out-targeted both Ruggs and Edwards. Nine targets to their five. So although we saw splashes from Ruggs and Edwards, Renfro is still the safety blanket after Darren Waller. Yeah, I mean, it seems like as long as Derek Carr's target depth stays low, then uh, so will the target totals for the wide receivers. I mean, Darren Waller had 19 targets. Holy sh- That'll do it. That's it for our weekly roundup. Hopefully you guys learned a little bit. Got a little something you didn't hear about earlier. It's time. We're moving on to our contenders and rebuilders, buys and sells. First up, the buys. Population. Bye. Kyle, who is our contender buy for the week? 
the first buy that I came across that really was just too obvious was Ezekiel Elliott. I don't think that we're learning anything by calling Ezekiel Elliott a buy this week. I think everyone who knows what's going on is probably attempting to make that move and the Zeke owners are probably savvy to it at this point. So I'm going to go for someone a little more under the radar, and it's someone that we talked about earlier in the recap, and that's Daryl Henderson. If you're a contender, I think he's absolutely worth a buy right now. He played on 49 out of 52 offensive snaps in week one. Sony Michelle just got the other three snaps, one carry for two yards. Jake Funk didn't play an offensive snap. He was only active for teams. So this is 100% Daryl Henderson's backfield. His 90% snap count, was tied for second in the NFL with Christian McCaffrey and behind only Najee Harris, who played every single snap at running back for Pittsburgh. He carried the ball 16 out of 17 attempts, or sorry, 16 out of 17 team attempts for 70 yards and a touchdown. So he was efficient when he got the ball. The fantasy playoffs, we're talking about contenders. So we're looking at this season. So we're looking down the road, weeks 14, or sorry, 15, 16, and 17 now are going to be against the Seattle Seahawks, Minnesota Vikings, and Baltimore Ravens. So how did they fare against running backs back in week one? Seattle allowed the RB9 and RB22 in the same game. Minnesota allowed the overall RB2 in Joe Mixon. And Baltimore allowed just a completely broken and apparently sick Josh Jacobs to finish as a top 15 running back and the RB28 in Kenyon Drake. So none of these run defenses really scare me after the performance they put on in week one. For the Rams themselves... This was a blowout game, like we talked about. They, they were These were two teams playing in different leagues. I expect the Rams to be in many more competitive games moving forward on one of the offenses that projects to be one of the best in the league, which means multiple scoring opportunities for Daryl Henderson. Now, the only caveat to this is maybe they're taking their time with Sony Michelle and they do have plans in the future to make him a little more involved. But it's been several weeks since Sony Michelle was traded for. He's had several weeks, and I know that's not a, a ton of time, but he's an NFL veteran. He's been in the league for five, what, four years now? So yeah. he, he knows how to play the running back position. We're not teaching him like a rookie on how to do pass pro or anything like that. All right? He's just learning the playbook. And he didn't. I didn't see anything out of him week one or in the preseason, to make me think that he's a real threat for Daryl Henderson's job. I think as long as Daryl Henderson is healthy, he's going to be the lead back on one of the top five offenses in the league. I think this is a great pick. I mean, if Latavius Murray can get work coming in to Baltimore as late as he did, there's no excuse for why Sonny Michelle didn't get work in L.A. I think it's because they want to give Daryl Henderson the work. So if you're a contender and you can buy Daryl Henderson, I think that's a great move. Moving on from the contender buy to our rebuilder buy, I got this one, and that is Trey Sermon. So after we just got done talking about how San Francisco is almost unpredictable, well, that's great if you're a rebuilder because when we're looking at guys to buy, I mean, we're looking for the left behinds, you know, the post-height sleepers, the guys that, you know, have a bit of stench on them, you know, because we want that upside. We want the guys that can fire, whether we want to keep them on a roster long-term or trade them for picks in the future to kind of accelerate our rebuild with, with, you know, new young stars coming into the league. So if Trey Sermon is who we thought he was in the offseason and who who was being reported about in the preseason and training camp, we all thought was going to take work from Raheem Mostert. If he is that guy, then you're going to get him a huge discount this week because he was inactive. You know, he totally surprised every Probably the biggest surprise of Sunday morning was that Trey Sermon was inactive. And people are very down on him after Eli Mitchell ran for 100 yards. Now, I'm not saying that he will come in and take, you know, work away from Eli Mitchell or 
he will eventually be better than Eli Mitchell, but the chances there, we have to remember they did invest more into Trey Sermon than they did in Eli Mitchell. So the, the, he's a guy that has an opportunity to either be the lead back or uh, have a very effective role because he's built very differently from the guys they have on the roster. Eli Mitchell's 200 pounds. Trey Sermon is 215, 220. You know, the 49ers run the ball a ton. They need backs of different statures and, and abilities. And with Raheem Mostert gone, whatever door that was closed to him Sunday morning is now opened back up. So if you can get Trey Sermon on the low as a rebuilder, I think it's a great investment to keep on your team either for the long term or to use him as a trade chip to get picks in the future. Shouldn't cost you much, so I'd get those offers out ASAP before week two when uh, he's definitely going to be active. I think there was two very distinct buy windows, and unfortunately, both were very small. You had about two hours after he was declared inactive where he was definitely a buy until Raheem Mostert got hurt, and then it sort of shut the window again. And then it opened up a little bit for the next couple of days, and then we get the news that Raheem Mostert is going on uh, electing for surgery, and he's going to miss the rest of the season. So, unfortunately, I do think there is going to be a little bit of demand for Trey Sermon. But I 100% agree that he has a unique skill set in San Francisco where he is the only thunder back of that backfield. So say what you will about Shanahan's comments and him working up to speed. He is unique in that backfield for what he does. And it's because of that that I think once he finds his way onto the field, he's going to have whole packages for him. He's going to have game scripts that are completely reliant on him. And I think he's an outstanding buy for a rebuilder who's waiting until sometime in the future to really capitalize on this move. All right. We told you who to buy, now it's time to tell you who to sell. Sell. What? What are they selling? Chocolates? What? No, 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 take, just get it out of here. You can sell anything, sell, sell, sell me this pen right here. You can sell anything, sell that. We all sell out every day, might as well be on the winning team. Sell! Kyle, who is our contender sell for this week? Yes, we're going to keep it in San Francisco where I'm telling you to sell Debo Samuel if you are in contention. So he had an outstanding week one. Finishes the overall wide receiver three, nine catches, 198 yards and a tutty. I don't know how that's the wide receiver three, but it was an outstanding game for him. Only once, all right, time to start talking negative about this guy. This is what I'm here for. Time to start talking negative. Only once did he have 75 or more yards in 2020. And, of course, that one time came when there was no Brandon Ayuk and there was no George Kittle. Yesterday, there was no Brandon Ayuk. Starting to find a common denominator here. Trey Sermon was inactive. Raheem Mostert was hurt after four plays. This offense was thrown in the spin cycle early on in the ballgame. Okay, they were... Uh, adjusting on the fly against one of the league-worst defenses. They were playing against the Detroit Lions, who ranked 30th and 32nd in pass yards allowed per game over the last two seasons. And they lost their star cornerback in Jeff Okuda, who was the 103 in last year's NFL draft in the game. Brandon Ayuk, of course, we talked about, had his surprise quote-unquote injury or just whatever's going on with him in San Francisco, but he only played 50% of snaps. All these things led in to a more Debo Samuel-centered plan of attack. I don't think that's going to be the game plan every week. Even if all that doesn't scare you, if you're completely sold that week one is the Debo Samuel that we're going to get in the future as long as he's on the field, I want to refer back to a study that J.J. Zacharyson did over the offseason where he talked about what to expect from rookie quarterbacks when they take over, how it affects the weapons around them. 
if slash when Trey Lance takes the starting job, it's very unlikely there are multiple fantasy relevant pass catchers on that offense. So unless you think George Kittle is for some reason going to spring to irrelevance or that this Brandon Ayuk talk is real and he's just not accommodating himself to the game anymore, then I don't see how Debo Samuel can break out. That's episode number 510 of J.J. Zacharyson's Late Round QB podcast. Great listen if you have some time. So, okay, let's say that the rookie doesn't take over and Jimmy Garoppolo is the leader of this offense for the rest of the season. So the 49ers have ranked 21st or lower in neutral game script pass rush rate since 2018. And why is the date 2018 relevant? Well, that's the year that Jimmy Garoppolo took over in San Francisco. So they're always going to be one of the teams who will rely on the run first and then come back to the pass. Take a second and ask yourself, if Debo Samuel is getting a small piece of the pie and the pie is shrinking based on the team that we have, are you really confident that he's going to have these bust games enough to make it worth it for you on your championship run? When you're making this championship push, one week can sink you. One bad game where Debo decides not to show up or gets injured early in the game, and just like that, your season's over. So I'm not willing to bet on it between the injury history, the outlier of a week one that we just saw, the recent history of the 49ers since Garoppolo has been the quarterback, the history of the NFL with rookies under center. These are just all negatives that are pulling me away from Debo Samuel. Yeah, I think this, there's a lot to take from this week uh, out of San Francisco, but I think there's a lot to, to get over uh, confident in. And one of them would be Debo Samuel. I mean, you look at just the, the box score, he had 12 targets. The next closest wide receiver was uh, Trent Sherfield with three targets. You know, that's not going to happen on a week-to-week no. basis. Not to mention George Kittle only had five targets. So, um, I, I wouldn't. I, yeah, I, w- I would not be counting on him, especially if you're a contender. It's a great time to get something for him. My rebuilder sell is going to be James Robinson. So, James Robinson did not have a good week one, but what you're counting on him is his reputation. Uh, being enough for you to sell to somebody. That plus people drafted and spent a lot of draft capital on Travis Etienne. So if they didn't also lock up James Robinson, they're out on a running back. So they could, could be a good uh, owner to, to target for this one. But you look at what happened. There was almost a true split workload in the backfield um, in Jacksonville. And it's what we feared. What we feared is coming true. So your window of selling Robinson is, is fading. You need to get out from under him now while you can. Um, but like I said earlier, I mean, what he did last year was almost unprecedented. An undrafted running back having an amazing season. Only thing close to that, I would say, is Phil Lindsay. So it's still fresh in everyone's mind. And it's also fresh in everybody's mind that Travis Etienne is gone. So I think it's a great opportunity for you to get rid of him now if you're, if you're rebuilding. And I don't think a second is really out of the window. You know, starting running backs are hard to come by in fantasy football. So if you can convince somebody, you can get a second-round pick. But I think it's more realistic to get a third-round pick for a undrafted running back who's living on borrowed time. That's then you know that's like free money. You know that's like stealing. Um, but the name James Robinson still gets people excited. So if I was you, I would try to sell James Robinson now, especially as a rebuilder, to get some draft capital headed into 2022. So this is one where. I don't know if I could sell James Robinson right now. If I'm a Robinson owner and I'm in rebuilding statuses, which is what we're talking about, I definitely sold him as soon as the ECN injury happened. But if that is not you, if you're someone who held on to him and you're hoping maybe he goes out there as the lead back and you see an increase uh, to his value when he goes out there and has a similar performance that he had back in 2020 that maybe his value goes up, 
I think I'd probably rather wait a few weeks with Robinson and see if I can capture one of those games that make you reminisce of 2020's James Robinson just for that little value spike. Because like you said, running backs are valuable. So everyone knows that James Robinson is playing off borrowed time right now. But give him a chance to prove himself as an RB2 before you try to sell him at that price. Because right now you have the massive split that he had with Carlos Hyde and in negative gain script all day, which unfortunately is probably what Jacksonville is looking at for the rest of the season. I'm probably going to hold Robinson before I try to sell him right now and just hope for that blow-up week. Yeah, that's a good point. After a rough week one, it might be harder to sell him. But getting him off your squad early I think is important because – as the season progresses, whoever's going to be buying him is going to have just a fewer weeks to use him because, as we know, they drafted Travis Etienne, and when he's recovered, which he should be plenty recovered by 2022, his injury is only a four-month injury. You know, His value starts getting lower and lower and lower the closer we get to the end of the season because he has a first-round pick running back coming back into the equation. So if you can get rid of him early, you know, hopefully he has a big week this week. Um, I'm not sure exactly who are they. You know who they're playing this week. They've got Denver this week. Denver, so he's probably not going to. But have after, good week after Denver, <laughs> it, depending on how you feel from what you saw from Arizona, that's who they have week three, and then they're at Cincinnati week four, and then the Titans week five. So none of those are on paper terrible or amazing matchups. I, I guess I'd call them yeah. all neutral in the grand scheme of thing, other than maybe Denver. So. You got to hope that one of those three or four weeks, he just has that outlier performance and you can sell high then. Yeah, week three, four, five, I think that's a solid stretch for him to have one of those blow up weeks. And that would obviously be the time to sell. And Urban Meyer wants to run the ball more. He was quoted as saying, I think it was, we better not have the game script of throwing the ball 50 times a game like they did against Houston this last week. So look for them to come out early against Denver and try to establish the run. And hopefully it's James Robinson at the head of that. Just another thing Urban Meyer can say to make us less confident. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a mess. That's the end of that segment, man. That's the end of the episode. Oh, I always forget. Did you do it again? Did you do it again? Dude, I did it again. (laughs) I did it again. I'm putting it on you. Who do you got? Remember Seneca Wallace? Yes. One of my favorite names. You said that, and it took me like probably five, ten seconds to be like, he's a quarterback. No, he's a tight end. No, (laughs) he's a quarterback. (laughs) Yeah, he's a quarterback. Seneca Wallace, he – I, he was. I remember he played with Green Bay as a backup in his final year. Before that, I remember him on Cleveland, and then most of his careers with Seattle. Yes. Yeah. So he came in in 2005 uh, with the Seahawks. Played five years with them. Two years at Cleveland, a year in Green Bay, and then he was done. Did he start so, in Green Bay? No. Well, no. 2013. Obviously, he's backing up a uh, guy you may have heard of, Aaron Rodgers. He, he started in Seattle. Uh, that was yeah, his first five Seattle, years. Yeah. 05 to 2009. Yeah, most of his career was spent in Seattle. Uh, his best season, 2007, where he played in 10 games, uh, threw for 200 and – oh, no, I guess it was the season after that. 2008, where he played 10 games, went 141 of 242, a 58% completion percentage, 1,500 yards, 11 touchdowns and three picks. You know, Man. call me crazy, but 
was moving on to Russell Wilson the right move when you have the prolific Seneca Wallace (laughs) under center? Something to look back on. I mean, hindsight's 20-20, but that was an awful call. Sorry, Seattle Idiots. Stupid. They would have had more than one Super Bowl by now. Without looking, this is going to be a deep cut. Can you guess where he went to college? Iowa State. Uh, Did you see it? Right? No. It was Iowa State, right? Yeah, Iowa State. Did you actually know that? That yes, and it's, it was random because uh, I was watching Iowa Iowa State this weekend. Good game, by the way. My oh, six-year-old shit. called the winner from the beginning. I asked Archer who was going to win. He said, Psh, Iowa. He just knew. But, yeah, <laughs> I, was, I was like, Iowa State, I don't know how many times. And then that. Seneca Wallace popped into my head. Yeah, I remember that. Nice. Got to get Archer on the pod, man. He's got to lay down some takes. It's about time. Right. He's busy. It's the book fair at school this week, so he's counting his quarters over there trying to buy something. <laughs> he's going to buy your number one dad mug or something keychain I, I would probably bust into tears if he did that <laughs> and then go buy him like a new bike or something all right man say goodbye to the people tell them where they can find us hit us up on twitter at fflexecution if you want to know all the news that's going on at the moment it's happening make sure you follow at flexecution on twitter if you want my spin on it follow me at ffmasterdebater all right guys see ya at the end of the week have a good one peace bye 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 Step